Oh, hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'm never tired of thanking God for his grace and mercy towards me. How about you? Oh, hallelujah. Lord, we thank you that we can continue to worship you and praise your name and lift up your name. We thank you for your grace and your mercy towards each one of us. We are so grateful that you've taken us out of darkness into your marvelous light because of the blood shed by your son. Oh, Lord, we give you honor and glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Abundant Life, I'm really excited to introduce our next guest speaker. He's a new friend to Abundant Life, and when Eric asked me to to do the introductions and to uh, check out his bio, I was pleasantly surprised that not only does he have a kingdom heart and a kingdom agenda for the multi-ethnic culture and race that he wants to see the church of God represent uh, with John, John's vision and revelations that every nation and every tribe will come together and lift up the name of Jesus. He's also a man after abundant life's own heart. And I just love that. He's from Minneapolis, Minnesota. There he um, founded a church. Um, let me put my glasses on. I can't see you. Founded a church in Minneapolis, Minnesota that was multi-ethnic. Um, the church was called uh, uh, the the church was called the Sanctuary Covenant Church. Am I right, Pastor? There he pastored there for over nine years, starting with um, uh, just you know a few people raised it to a thousand. He was um, born and raised again in Minneapolis. He also was uh, a graduate of St. John's University and Lutheran Theological Seminary. Right now, he is studying as a student, a doctrinal student in church leadership at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul's, Minnesota. More importantly, he's been happily married for 23 years with two beautiful daughters. Now he's the CEO and president of World Impact, which is a great organization. I believe it started out of the Watts Riots, am I correct? And there, um, he's constantly making sure that our people that have, do, do not have a voice get a voice and that they hear about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Not only that, he helps develop leaders there. He's a world-renowned speaker. He travels in the same circles as Pastor Brian. Will you give me a warm welcome and present, as I present uh, Ephraim Smith? Come on up, Ephraim. Welcome, bro. Well, good morning. It is indeed an honor to be here, giving honor to God, to uh, the elders, the pastors here, the members of this great church, uh, to uh, Sister Loritz. It's uh, just a blessing, blessing to be here at Abundant Life. Uh, I am from Minnesota, but thank God I was delivered six years ago from the frozen tundra of Minnesota here to the Bay Area of California. Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen especially from November to March. I'm like, oh, I, I never prayed in tongues till I moved here and spent a winter in the Bay Area. Amen. Okay, um, so I've lived in the Bay Area with my wife, Danisha, and our daughters, Maria and Jada, uh, for six years now. Uh, and for three years, I've been the president of World Impact. As was mentioned, World Impact is an urban Christian missions organization initially birthed out of the Watts riots. Uh, officially incorporated in 1971. So for over 40 years, we've been planting churches. Uh, We have had missionaries in inner city urban communities. We have been demonstrating kingdom, compassion, and justice uh, so that uh, the poor, 
uh, would be empowered to advance the kingdom of God in every city through the local church. We have ministry sites uh, throughout the country and around the world, but uh, we uh, specifically around here, we are in Richmond, uh, West Oakland, East Oakland, and South San Francisco. Uh, We are in every prison and county jail in California uh, doing evangelism, discipleship, and teaching theological education and leadership development to women and men who have been incarcerated. And uh, here's some great news. We have about 240 men and women that have been released, that have been in our program, and only uh, 6% have returned back to being incarcerated. And, uh, and out of the 6%, only one commit, recommitted a crime. The rest of them, like, they were late for a parole meeting or something. And so we're praying that they would get out again uh, and serve the Lord. And we're seeing men and women get hired. Some of them are even planting churches here in the Bay Area. So if you think about me or World Impact, please pray for us as we have this deep vision to see the poor equipped and empowered through the gospel to be leaders that transform cities. Uh, I am going to uh, read to you uh, this morning for this message from the Gospel of John, chapter 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4, beginning with verse 4. It reads as follows. He, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. From this text, I want to preach to you on the title, The Power of Meeting with Jesus. The Power of Meeting with Jesus. Now, I was with your lead pastor just a couple weeks ago. We were having lunch, and he says to me, he looks real serious at me and he says, you are the first guest preacher that I've invited to abundant life since I've become the lead pastor. Do not mess this up. (laughs) So with that in mind, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord God, I pray that this would be your message, that ultimately you would be preaching and I would just be the vessel, the vehicle that you've decided to use to say what you want to say to these, your beloved children, my sisters and brothers. Uh, God, I want to be obedient to your word. So please let it be done in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. The power of meeting with Jesus. So speaking of meeting, you're meeting me for the first time. So uh, maybe it would be good for you to know uh, something about me uh, so that it would, you know, you get to know me better and you can flow with me through this through this word. So anyone who spends a significant amount of time with me will find out soon that I am really into superhero movies. 
No, no, I'm really into superhero movies. I, I saw uh, Avengers Age of Ultron like three times at the movie theater, three times on an airplane. I'm, I'm really into superhero movies. I saw Captain uh, America Civil War, uh, that big, uh, you know, battle between Team Captain America, Team Iron Man with this cool appearance by Black Panther. I saw that twice. Uh, I know that Suicide Squad is out now. Oh, I saw Batman v Superman, Donna Justice twice. I know that Doctor Strange is coming out in November. I know that Wonder Woman is coming out in 2017, which is going to set up the Justice League movie in two parts. You're also going to get a movie from Flash, and you're going to get another Man of Steel 2 movie. But that's the DC universe, not to outdo the Marvel universe, because I already mentioned Doctor Strange and Captain America Civil War. I know that Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is coming out in two years, but that's not going to take away from a Avengers Infinity Gauntlet, which is going to set up Thanos, this villain of the universe, with a glove and six Infinity Stones trying to take over the entire world. Did you know that there's going to be a third reboot of Spider-Man with Spider-Man Homecoming, which is going to feature Iron Man as well, who's now equipping Spider-Man to take on these villains? That's going to be a trio of movies as well. I do know some stuff about the Bible, too. But I'm really into superhero movies, as you can tell. Now, this goes back to my childhood growing up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I was really into comic books. Oh, okay, I'm into comic books still today. But, but growing up as a kid, in the summer months, me and my friends in Minneapolis, we would meet on the corner of the block where I grew up, and uh, we'd all bring our comics. We'd bring our Thor, our Fantastic Four, our Spider-Man, our Superman, our Batman, and we'd read our comics, and then we would trade them. But there was one comic book uh, series I wouldn't trade. I still have it today. It's a Superman uh, comic book series called Bizarro World. And the story arc of Bizarro World goes a little something like this. There's this other realm, this other place called Bizarro, and it is a broken, evil, upside down and backwards world. It is so evil that it is backwards. It is it has twisted everything that is in the earthly realm. Uh, it is so backwards, so upside down that there's a person in Bizarro World who looks just like Superman, except he's as evil as Superman is good. And Bizarro World, with its twisted, evil, broken, backward state, is is threatening to invade planet Earth, specifically Metropolis. So Superman decides to make a sacrifice of himself and go into Bizarro World to take on this evil threat. Now, to go with this story arc, you have to believe that for the most part, things on planet Earth are good. I mean, there's good families, good economy, there's peace, there's harmony. I mean, they, I mean, it's good on planet Earth. It's bizarro world that is evil and twisted and upside down and broken. But the truth is, sisters and brothers, we live in bizarro world. This world that we live in is an upside down, sinful, broken, twisted reality. It's like in this world that we live, we take what should be wholesome, what should be good, what should be meaningful, what should bring about happiness and joy and peace, and we twist it. We turn it upside down. We take family and we twist it and we turn it upside down. We take manhood and we twist it and we turn it upside down. 
upside down. We take womanhood and we twist it and turn it upside down. We even take the Christian life and try to twist it and turn it upside down. We take what the church should be and twist it and turn it upside down. We take cities and we twist them. We take educational systems and healthcare systems and government systems and we break them and we divide them and we make them backwards and turn them upside down. This is the world that we live in. But here's the good news. <laughs> Over 2,000 years ago, someone greater than any comic book superhero ever written about, his name is Jesus. Jesus came into this upside down world. And, and if you just want to give somebody just a quick summary, summation of what Jesus did when he came into this bizarro upside down world, what Jesus did is he gave us a picture of what this upside down world could look like if it was turned right side up again. And he called that the kingdom of God. And he proclaimed the kingdom of God. And he performed the kingdom of God. And when the broken, when the lost, when the poor, when the rebellious, when the left for dead, when the marginalized met Jesus, they met the kingdom of God. The truth of the kingdom of God. The love of the kingdom of God. The justice of the reconciliation of the kingdom of God. There was something powerful that went on when people met with Jesus because they met the kingdom of God. But most importantly, they met the king of the kingdom of God. They, they, they received direct access and relationship with the king of the kingdom of God. And this is what should happen today because we are still yet, sisters and brothers, until Jesus comes back, we are in a broken and bizarro world. I heard an old preacher once say, when Jesus returns, this is ultimate justice. But until then, it's just us. <laughs> that, that God has decided, for whatever reason, that the main way that this upside down, twisted, bizarro world is going to know what the world could be like if it was set right is through God's church. Through God's people. Through the beloved, transformed people of God, through Christ Jesus, this upside-down, bizarro world could be blessed. That means that people today experience the kingdom of God not by meeting a Jesus in human form walking the earth, but people today experience the power of the kingdom of God by meeting people like you and I. Every day, ordinary, transformed children of God. If people are going to experience the truth of God, if people are going to experience the love of God, the justice of God, the transformation of God, they're going to have to meet you. That assumes you know God. That assumes you're walking in an intimate relationship with God. The power of meeting God flows through you and I who know God. So it's like this, the more I meet with God, I position myself for people to meet God through me. And the more I meet with God, the more I can meet with people who can meet God by meeting me. But if I'm not meeting with God, it reduces the potential of people having the ability to meet God. Because if I'm not with God, how are people going to meet God? How are people going to know God if I don't know God? How are people going to know the love of God if I'm not in an intimate, loving relationship with God? 
like myself. So the more I isolate myself from God, the more I isolate my marriage from God, the more I isolate my, my single life from God, the more I isolate my career from God, the more I isolate my, my finances from God, the more I keep people away from God potentially. Because people are going to know God through us. Now, there's no excuse if they don't follow God. Now, last time I heard, right now, today, only about 6 to 7% of the people that live in the Bay Area are in church. Like right now. That's why there was no traffic jam when you were on your way here. Now, tomorrow, you're going to have a little problem getting where you need to get. But for some reason, it's too easy. See, I want it to be, it, we want so many people to meet Jesus through us that on Sunday morning, it's a traffic jam too. So the, the reason I want you to look at the gospel of John chapter four with me for a few minutes is if people are going to meet Jesus through us, then maybe we should study just for a few brief minutes what happens when somebody meets with Jesus. What, what happens when somebody meets with Jesus and, and maybe we can follow that in our lives so that when people meet with us, they're meeting Jesus. Amen? Okay, the Gospel of John chapter four. Please tell Pastor Brian Loritz I did the best I could this morning. Please, you know, just... Sister Loritz, you could help me out. But anyway, because he looked at me and said, all right, so here you are, the, the, the gospel of John chapter four, starting with verse four. It says, and he, Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If we are going to position ourselves so that when people meet with us, they can meet Jesus, they can meet God on some level, we need to, we need to follow Christ to the people and the places that others avoid. That's the first point. We need to be willing to follow Christ to the people and the places that others avoid. It says here that Jesus had to go to Samaria. Not really. I mean, they were religious people, people that thought they were holy, that they really knew God, that they avoided places like Samaria all the time. I mean, it was like one of those, one of those communities. You just don't go there. Like not there. You, you know what I mean? I mean, you know, there's, there are, there's certain ways that we've developed cities now using highways and light rail transportation so that you can avoid the Samarias of the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, don't go there after dark. Like they got, they have good food down there, but you better go get it and then get home before it get dark. Cause you know, that's Samaria, you know, you know, them Samaritans down there. You don't want really, you might want to avoid going down there. I mean, go down there and watch the warriors. But as soon as the warriors are done playing, you better get on home, get up out of there. Yes. 
you know, all kinds of people avoiding Samaria. You know what I mean? I mean, you go down there and get some catfish and then get out of there. You know what I mean? Go down there and watch the game, you know, and go to work, and then you better get on out of there. Out there. I'm avoiding Samaria. Thank God for 580 and 680. I can avoid Samaria. But Jesus actually went to Samaria, didn't skip it, didn't get on the bark to get around it, like walk down there, spent time. In, and the Bible, he had to go. There was something on the inside of the son of God, of the Messiah, that, that, that forced him to go to places that other people avoid going, going to people. It, it was like before Star Trek, there was Jesus. You know what I mean? I mean, especially if, if those of you, if you know Star Trek, like old school folks in the house, you know, I'm talking about the old, like Captain Kirk, like television series, uh, Star Trek, they, every week it would open up and they would say that they, they had this mission to go where no man had gone before, right? And they would actually do it. Every week on Star Trek, they would go someplace. I would say, that's just orange people there. Like, I know nobody's ever gone to where the orange people are. I mean, who goes there? Then the next week they would go where purple people, well, that's Minneapolis where I'm from. But anyway, <laughs> all right, so... Uh, Lord Jesus, I'm in church. Okay, now, um, so every week they would go somewhere where, you know, nobody had gone before on a mission. That's what Jesus did. Jesus would go to the dead, to the cursed, to the tax collector, to the woman caught in adultery, to the prostitute, to the, to the person with government power who really wasn't all that empowered. I mean, you feel powerful till your daughter dies then it's hard to feel like you got a lot of power. Then the, then the government military leader needed to know he needed to encounter, meet with the person that really had power. Jesus put himself in a position to meet with people that other people avoided. But this is the life of the Christian. This is the mission of the church to go where other people won't go to sit with people that other people won't sit with, to be touched by people that other people don't want to be touched by. This is the power of meeting with Jesus, that Jesus will go with love, with truth. It's not just that Jesus went, it's how Jesus went. Jesus goes to Samaria and he sits at a well. He gets low. The, the most high one gets in a low place. So by the time the Samaritan woman gets there, she's looking down at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. She's looking down at the Prince of Peace, at El Shaddai. I mean, the one who is most high gets low for us. So if Jesus can do that, can we get low? How low are we willing to go in humility? in unselfishness, in forgiveness, so that someone can meet God. Someone can experience the power of meeting with Jesus. Uh, let's go on. Verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. 
Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered, "Uh, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Not only must we be willing to follow Christ to the people and the places that others avoid, we also must be willing to follow Christ into a new identity and into a new worship. A new identity and a new worship. So... Um, the woman is saying, hey, I, I want this, this living water that you're talking about. Jesus says, go and call your husband. And she says, uh, I, I have no husband. And he says, you're right. Now, you know, sometimes uh, preachers will put an inflection on this that will make it seem like Jesus is just beating this woman up verbally, that he's just shaming her. Yeah, I know. I know you don't have no husband because you had five husbands. And you living, uh, as my people used to say in the South, you shacking with your boyfriend right now. now I you should be on Real Housewives of Samaria. <laughs> See, I don't think that's how Jesus said it. Jesus, Jesus was not here to shame this woman. He was here to liberate this woman. So before we we really just put this woman down for being married five times and living with a guy, let let me tell you something about the context. In this day, women were were pretty much second-class citizens in the society, and a man could divorce a woman over some frivolous reasons. Just didn't want to be with her anymore. I mean, he could just divorce her. Um, Now he could also divorce her over some painful reasons. She was not able to bear children naturally, which in in the context of the society of that time, a woman's virtue or, or meaning in life was to bear not just children, but to bear a son, something powerful about bearing a son to continue a generation so that a generation can be blessed generation after generation. And so if you're a woman and you could not bear children naturally, or if you bore children and they were all girls and no boys, well, a man could divorce you. He could throw you away. I'm not justifying that she's been married five times, but how do you know she hasn't been thrown away five times? How do you know she hasn't been abused five times? We don't know. We don't even know her name. How are we going to judge her? We don't even know her name. But we do know that regardless of your past, regardless of your circumstance, if you meet Jesus at the well, no matter what you've done, no matter if you've been thrown away, no matter if you've been the abuser or the abused, if you've been the oppressor or the oppressed, if you meet with Jesus, your life can be transformed. You can be liberated. 
You can get a new name, a new identity. I think Jesus is here to liberate this woman, to free her. And then they start talking about worship. I mean, you notice she didn't want to talk about the boyfriend thing too long. You know, you're like, hey, let's talk about worship. What church you go to? And she said, you know, my people worship here. Your people worship there. He said, there's going to be a new worship. When you meet with Jesus, it will expand your worship taste buds. So um, I, I told you I grew up in Minnesota, but my dad is from Louisiana. My mom is from Alabama, right? A lot of African-Americans I found in the state of California, a lot of them have some Southern roots, like Louisiana, Alabama, stuff like that. Uh, so my dad is from uh, a small town outside of a small city called Monroe, Louisiana. So in the summers, uh, my mom and dad, we, we would, they would pack up the car and we would drive from Minneapolis all the way down to Monroe, Louisiana. All right. And then they'd stay for a few days. Then they would leave. And me and my younger brother, Tremaine, we would stay at my grandmother and my grandfather's house on, on a cotton field on, at the end of a dirt road in this small town. And so, um, you know, most of the summer, I mean, it's hot. You're playing with your friends and then you're meeting cousins and second cousins and third cousins. And, then, and you know, and um, so I have a cousin, O'Rail. She, she, she was older, so I called her Auntie O'Rell, even though she was a cousin. And so I remember she was barbecuing. Uh, she had taken like this barrel and put a grate on it, and she had some meat on it. And, and it, man, it was smelling so good. And I would go up to it as a little kid, and she was like, stay away from that. It's hot. And, and so then I, I guess I didn't trust her, so I kept going up to it. And so it, that meat was smelling so good, y'all, that I just, I mean, I'm just 10. And so I put my hand up there, and I took a piece of the meat. And when I turned, uh, with it in my mouth, chewing it, there was my cousin O'Rail. Now, the next thing I remember is I was getting up off the ground for some reason. I can't really remember what happened in the two minutes or whatever it was between me seeing her with the meat in my mouth and me being on the ground. I don't know what the statutes of limitations is on this. But anyway, so when I'm looking up at her with the meat still in my mouth, chewing, um, she said, I'm sorry I had to do that, baby. I told you to stay away from that grill. It's too hot. But you, hopefully you didn't learn that now. And so she said, but what do you think of that meat? I said, Cousin O'Rell, as I was coming to my senses, this meat is so good. It is really, it is, I said, this is the best chicken I've ever had. She said, that's not chicken, that's armadillo. <laughs> now, last time I checked, you can't go to Safeway and get armadillo. <laughs> you can't like just go to Whole Foods and say, hey, where do you keep the armadillo? Um, so I think you can only get armadillo two ways. You can hit it or you can hunt it. I think that's the only two ways you can get it. And I wanted to spit it out because I'm like, armadillo, really? But why spit it out now? I already acknowledge that it tastes good. See, we should not be so finicky when it comes to worship. There's a lot of worship that, you know, if we just start chewing on it in our spirit, we would realize how good it tastes. How good it tastes to commune with God in various ways. To, to know Jesus authentically. It doesn't have to just be all the songs I grew up with or all the ways I learned to pray growing up 
or the, just everything in the liturgy, just the way that I was accustomed to. You know what I like about this church is you look around and it's a picture of what heaven will be like. And the more that we're diverse in the songs and in the praying and in the sharing with one another, it's going to do something. It's going to expand our taste buds. I know you never chewed on a song like that before. It's like armadillo, but it's already good in your mouth. So just keep going. Just keep singing it. It's good to you, ain't it? Just keep singing it. Why stop singing it now just because it wasn't written by somebody who looked like you? I mean, why? Just, if you can't clap on two and four, do one and three and a half. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. It's good to you, ain't it? The more we worship in a setting that looks like heaven, it's going to expand our taste buds. Okay, here's the last point, my Lord. Okay, uh, so um, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ, when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 28 says, so the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Verse 39 says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Not only must we be willing to follow Christ to the people and the places that others avoid, not only must we be willing to follow Christ into a new identity and a new worship, ultimately we must follow Christ into this world, into a revolutionary movement. The, the gospel, the, the, the spreading of the gospel, the making of disciples, the transformation of lives and communities, that is revolutionary work. A revolution ultimately in its definition is when somebody moves their allegiance to one king or one leader or one way to another king, to another leader, to another way. You and I, when we became a Christian, that was a revolutionary moment in our lives. We took our allegiance away from this world and we gave it to the creator of the universe. When we became a Christian, we, that's what was supposed to happen. It was a revolutionary act, but we weren't supposed to keep that revolution to ourselves. We were supposed to infect this world with that revolution. We were supposed to spread that revolution to our, our families and to where we work and where we live and where we play and wherever God will send us. God is calling you not only into intimate relationship with him through Christ Jesus, but into a revolutionary movement. As I come to my close, the Bible says that this woman jumped up from the well. <laughs> um, I'm warning y'all now, I used to be Baptist. I'm, I'm going to try to do this right, but I noticed nobody's on the organ, so that's a good thing, all right? Because I don't want to keep y'all here too long. But the Bible says the woman jumped up from the well. It reminds me, this jumping up from the well reminds me uh, of when I went to Africa, uh, specifically to Kenya uh, about six years ago. Uh, I went to Kenya, and, and while I was there with a group of pastors from the Bay Area here, we, uh, we went on a safari. Uh, and, and, and when we went on the safari, uh, we had a tour guide and I knew I was going to see the giraffe and, and the zebra and, and, the, and the lion and, and I, the, but the animal that I wasn't expecting to see that the tour guide told us about was the impala. 
Now, I thought the Impala was a car. I didn't even know that there was an animal called the Impala. But what the tour guide told us is that the African Impala has the power just standing on all fours to jump 13 feet high in the air. It's its God-given ability. So if an Impala is just standing there and a lion comes out to attack it, the Impala can leap 13 feet high in the air. It's its God-given ability. When the Impala is running, not only can it jump 13 feet high, it can jump 30 feet out. It's its God-given ability. I saw the Impala uh, at, at, at its, its, its greatest usefulness of its gifts from God when I was on safari in Africa. But you know what? A year or two later, uh, they happened to have impalas for a brief period of time at the Oakland Zoo. So I was at the Oakland Zoo and I saw impalas there, but it was different. Like there was this large fencing, but there was this initial three foot wall. And these impalas wouldn't jump over the three foot wall. And I'm looking at them and I'm trying to talk to them. I'm like, y'all don't have, look, do you know you can jump over that? I've seen your cousins back in Kenya. They can jump 13 feet high. Do y'all know you don't have to put up with this if y'all don't want to here at this zoo. Impala lives matter. You don't have to do this. We can start a revolution up in this Oakland Zoo right now because y'all have the ability and they was just looking at me. And wouldn't jump over the three foot wall. So I had to find somebody. I found this lady on staff at the Oakland Zoo and I'm like, you gotta help me out. I've been to where these animals are from. I've been to their hometown and they can jump 13 feet high, 30 feet out. Why are they not jumping over that three foot wall? She said, well, we found out when the Impalas are little, uh, if they can't see where they're going to land, they won't jump. So we put up a wall and they can't see over it when they're babies. And because they're only going to jump if they can see where they're going to land. She said, so when they get older, they're so immature (laughs) that they won't jump. They're still thinking like babies, even though they're grown. And she said, this probably won't make sense to you. She said, but they don't have the faith to jump. I said, ooh, I'm going to preach a sermon and I'm going to give you credit one day, zoo lady. And I thought about that. And I thought about, is that true for some of us as Christians? That we have the ability to go higher in our marriage, higher in our single life, higher in our purpose, in our mission, but there's a three-foot wall and we don't know we can jump over it. The three-foot wall might be low self-esteem. The three-foot wall might be prejudice. The three-foot wall might be abandonment. The three-foot wall might be unforgiveness. The three-foot wall might be when you were a little girl, they told you you couldn't do that. They told you because of the color of your skin, you couldn't do that. Or because you didn't graduate from this college. Or because you served time. Or because you made so so many mistakes when you were younger. I'm telling you, God has given you the ability to jump further and higher than you think you can. To bring the gospel 
to this world, to bring love to this world, to bring justice to this world. That's what we're doing at World Impact. We're going into West Chicago. We're going into St. Louis. We're going into prisons and we're saying, regardless of what you've done or where you are, you can jump in Jesus' name. Even Chris Cross said, jump, jump. Even Van Halen said, Miles, well, jump. If they can say it in rock and roll and rap, then from the kingdom of heaven, God is looking at your marriage and your single life and your future. He's looking at you in high school, you in college, and he's saying you can do this. God is looking at abundant life and said, I sent the Loritzes here to remind you that your best days are ahead of you. Abundant life, you need to jump like you've never jumped before. You are a standard bearer for the kingdom of God in the Bay Area. God is not done with you yet. You might as well jump abundant life. Jump. I wish I had two witnesses that would just just do this just to signify that you're with me. Oh, I thought you was about to do something with me. this message you've heard something not from me but from the Lord that is saying you know if you're not a Christian today's your day to become a Christian or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time but things have gotten stagnant in your life you needed like a jump you know what I mean when when the battery's dying in your car and you just needed a jump you just needed that shock of the Holy Spirit to remind you of the man you are, the woman you are, the mother you are, the father you are, the husband you are, the the wife you are, the student you are, the great potential you have. So I I know there are people that are here to pray with folks. And, And so I'm just, I know this is a bold call. I know usually people say, close your eyes, bow your heads. I'm not gonna do all that. If you know that you need to jump up and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or stand up and renew your relationship with a God that loves you so much. We're not going to embarrass you. We want to love you. We're not, we're not going to... If you know that's you, just stand up where you are. Just jump up. I got I to gotta renew my life with God. I got to give my life to Jesus. I got to strengthen my marriage. Just stand up where you are. That's you. Just say, that's me. That's, that's me. That's, that's me. That's, that's me. That's, you're talking to me. You, I, I'm going to jump. I'm not going to let the devil have any power over my life. I'm going to jump. I'm going to stand up for you. Okay, if you stood up for either one of those, I just want you to come down here with me because we're going to pray together. It's not going to be embarrassing. It's just come on. I know what you're thinking. Look, you already made me stand up. Now you want me to come down there too? Yeah, come on down here. Yeah, come on. Come on. 